California, Johanna Ely. Johanna, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you for having me, Nina. I'm so happy and excited to be here today. Do you have any poems about Benicia? I do. The city of Benicia, or the town, was named after Vallejo's wife, Benicia, Francisca Maria Felipa Benicia. Vallejo was the governor of California. Yes. When it was Mexico. Yes, thank you. And we have these beautiful tiles on the sidewalk in Benicia on First Street. And they were created by the artist Guillermo Wagner Granizo. And he made a series of tiles telling the history of Benicia through the tiles. And I chose one. I call it tile number seven, portrait of Francisca Benicia de Vallejo. And so this is my poem. She stares off into the distance. Only she remembers what she has lost. Her lace mantilla, a dark blue shroud, settles on her head with a certain grace. She resembles an Egyptian goddess, her gaze stoic, impenetrable. Her husband Vallejo's profile etched into her hardened face. His tongue, her solemn lips become one. How much he loved her once. At 17, she was ripe and smelled of sweet pears and sunlight. Her lips stained pomegranate red. Her voice, the whisper of olive trees in summer. Only she remembers what she has lost how she spread her legs wide open every night to take him in and bore him 16 children, six of whom are gone. And now he comes to her in midlife, insists she will be honored. If he is to sell his land, the new town will bear her name, Benicia. Only she remembers what she has lost, the wild blue and purple flowers of her childhood, how day after day the sun sets and the birds fly south where she can't go, on the wind, over the mountains, towards her father's old adobe house, towards home. Oh, wow. (laughs) What a totally different take on her (laughs) 16 children yes amazing i know so many women in those days had so many children and fortunately she didn't die from having that many but she did lose six of them yes beautiful poem well it leaves me with Goosebumps. Thank you. If you see her in the tile, it's a profile, and she is kind of staring off, and you see these birds flying by, and it always makes me think that maybe she's daydreaming of being back with her family or or somewhere else. I don't think she was unhappy being married or living in Benicia, but I just always wonder... She thought about her other family and where she came from and sometimes missed that. 
It's very interesting to hear this poem about her because I have seen that tile. It's embedded in the sidewalk. Right. And when I bring visitors to Vallejo, I always take them to Benicia because it's so close. It's actually nine minutes door to door from our house to First Street. And then I parade them down the street, <laughs> point out the tiles with the history embedded there. And then we always get down to the river, down to the shore. And looking at her, I, I, I never thought of that, of why is she looking to the side? Where is she looking to? Who was she? Was she really honored to, to be here? Was she just a fixture, a public fixture in his life? And in my, my brother's house, my sister-in-law and he found a painting of his daughter, that's in their house. Wow. So I've seen her little daughter, or I guess one of the survivors. I start to feel, when your poem is another layer of it, of a connection to this. But it's also connected to the loss, the loss of Mexican land. And right. we are still trying to deal with the outcome of that today. Mm-hmm. We've inherited all these struggles and all of these terrible things that happened when California became a state. I took the tour, the old building that had been the Benicia capital. Yes. And it was really the history of misogyny, racism, corruption, and was right there as as an open part of the tour. So we're still, that legacy that they left us, we're still struggling to make it right. And in, in your poems, what I appreciate so much about them is the love, because what else is going to get us through this struggle? What exactly. else? Yes, yes. And you express it so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's so, so appropriate that you see Benicia as the love poetry capital. Well, now that brings me to another story of Benicia, and it has to do with the love poetry contest. Originally, the contest was created around a historical story about Concepcion de Arguello, who I believe was the daughter of the commandant of the Presidio in San Francisco. And Nikolai Reznov was a Russian fur trader. And he came to San Francisco, I think in the 1800s, we'll have to check that, to try to make a deal with the commandant in San Francisco. His fur trading business was not going that well. He was in his 40s, and he met Concepcion, the daughter, and she was in her teens, probably around 15 years old. And supposedly they fell in love, and he went back to Russia to get permission to marry. And when he got to Russia after sailing on a long trip, he became ill and fell off his horse and died. 
And then it took several years for the news to get back to Concepcion that the man she was engaged to had died. And so at that point, she became a nun and worked in Monterey for a while, or taught, and then eventually came back to Benicia and died in Benicia. And she's buried in the cemetery, the Catholic cemetery that's above the Safeway now. And apparently there have been uh, people from Russia who have brought over some of his ashes or whatever and mixed them with, or dirt possibly, and mixed them with dirt around her grave site. And anyway, so the Love Poetry Contest was originally based around this story. So in the beginning, many of the poems were about that story. Over time, the contest has changed, and now the poems are about all kinds of love. But this year, I decided I was going to write a poem that challenged that story in the sense of, Oh, yes, these two people were in love. Oh, yes, you know, she really wanted to marry him, and which may or may not have been true, but there, there's a little bit of suspicion with all of us who've been involved in this contest over the years, the, the age difference, the fact that it was possibly a political move, you know, we'll work out an agreement with you with your fur trading, and yes, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, that kind of thing. So I wrote kind of a cynical poem, maybe, about the situation, and I'd like to read it. Oh, we'd love to hear it. So the title of this poem is Concepcion Talks to Nikolai After His Death. My father sold my heart to you in exchange for soft animal fur. He sold my breasts to you with their dark nipples, and you bartered with him for my smooth young thighs. Did you know that after you left me, I prayed you would die? Your breath becoming only a gasp of wind forced into a trembling sail instead of into me. And I prayed you would never see me naked or open my soft lips with your cruel mouth. The day you fell off your horse, the second it happened, I heard you whisper my name and I fell to my knees in relief. I gave myself to God, and my fingers caressed each rosary bead as gently as I might have touched your face had you ever loved me. Oh, how beautiful and how cruel. Yes, imagine all those teenage girls. She was 15. Mm -hmm. And if you can remember back to being 15, how old a man of 40 was. Yes, yes. Was an old man. Yes, 
And, uh, you know, there's a part of me that just thinks maybe after he died, she decided, I don't want this to happen to me again. I'm just going to join a nunnery. I don't know what she thought. This is just my interpretation, and I want people to know this is not historical fact or anything like that. But it was just a different take because for years everybody was like, oh, so beautiful. Oh, that love story between Concepcion and Nikolai. And I thought, hmm, maybe not. Well, it's the, the <laughs> feminist take. The feminist take. Right. Do you have some more poems to share with us? Yes, I do. Let me think about Here's a poem I really like. It's about aging and the beauty of aging. And it's called, What Still Matters. The water stain on the dining room table still remains. A perfect circle left from the vase of irises I received on my 40th birthday. That and the table, lined and scratched like an old man's face, remind me there is a beauty to aging. All these millions of years, water tumbling over riverbeds, the ragged rocks thin and clean, smoothed into glass stones, scarab green, or wind howling in the crevices of ocean cliffs how it erodes and softens them, dunes of bone-white sand rising. All that once came kicking and screaming into this nascent world, weakened to a whisper, the veneer chipped, worn to a thin gold band, takes on its own polished patina, while a voice low, far away, murmurs what still matters, how the purple-tongued irises turned a deeper indigo in the waning light. Lovely. Thank Lovely. you. What other poems do you have for us? I saw you flash by one called Plums, which I think I heard when you read it on the radio. I did. Yeah, and I was very struck with that poem because I think right now people are experiencing a, sur a surplus of plums and even putting them up on Facebook and saying, oh, come by my house and, right. and pick some plums. Well, yes, at this time of the year, you have your neighbors and your friends and they have these wonderful harvests of fruits and vegetables and they're more than happy to give you some of those wonderful things and so this is a kind of a poem about that plums i don't like to eat them cold though i suppose the refrigerator keeps them from going bad so quickly instead i like them best just picked still warm from the sun Every year at the end of June, the plums ripen all at once and become the fruit of excess. Neighbors deliver them to me in stained brown lunch bags filled to the brim, not questioning need or want, but politely demanding their fruit be taken. 
this season, the plums arrived in timely fashion, just before a summer party. I rinsed them carefully in cool water, patting each one dry, then felt their perfect roundness in my hand as I placed them gently in the blue ceramic bowl, a still life for Cezanne. It was as if they looked too beautiful to be eaten, these purple jewels of summer. By evening, I too was giving them away, asking guests to take some home, five or six to a plastic bag, until one plum was left. There are certain things I can never get enough of, a billion stars in the sky, a hundred red roses blooming at once, my lover's kisses warm and wet. But this one plum was all I needed, sweet juice on lips and tongue, a harvest of desire, the taste of all the days of summer in my throat. Love, yeah. I enjoy it more the second time. <laughs> Thank you. Notice new little details about it. I love that reference to Cezanne and the bowl of plums. I'd forgotten about that. Yes. Yeah. Well, when I looked at oh, it's a beautiful ceramic bowl that someone had left me from some other party I had years ago, and I put them in, and it was just. It's like, oh, those are gorgeous. I liked also that line you had in the earlier poem about aging, about the ring that the flower vase had left on your table. And that was probably, you know, 20 years earlier, Mm -hmm. but it's now part of your table. And then that brings to mind that darker purple that happens as the irises begin to fade. That was very exciting. Oh, thank you. Well, tell us a little about your book, Transformation. Oh, sure. Yes, thank you. My son did the artwork on the cover. And I had always wanted to do a small collection of poetry based around the months of the year. And so there's a poem in here for every month in the year. And then there's four extra poems called Beyond. And so it's called a collection of poems for the year and beyond. And Can you share some of those? Yes. Oh, I'd thank you. I'd be happy to. So the poem I'm going to read from this book is called The Gift. Unwrap this precious day attentively. Smooth out every star-shaped dazzling leaf that lays itself against the painted sky and languid catches sunlight on its face. Then gently unfold each velvet petal of the scarlet rose who sticks its head so curious and aware through slats of garden fence. Let violet agapanthus come undone, long tangled ribbons tied around the afternoon. Then look inside this gift, this box of lustrous light, and let the hummingbirds escape to hover round your throat like gold-flecked beads of lapis or perhaps a strand of ancient malachite. How beautiful. Oh, thank you. 
Very beautiful. Thank you. And I could read another one. Oh, please here. do. This is called The Murmuration of Starlings. The first time I saw a murmuration, it was on, I think, Facebook. And then last fall, finally, I got to see the real thing. What is that? It's when the starlings all come together and fly in different kind of formations. Are starlings the birds that when they fly in one direction, they look one color, and then when they fly in the other direction, they look another color? Uh, possibly, but the, it's just like watching a dance in the sky. There's thousands of them, and it usually happens in the fall around dusk, and they just move and make beautiful patterns in the sky. Oh, so I look forward the, to seeing the real thing. Yeah, I was so excited when I finally did. It was just wonderful. Saw it in Benicia, too, off of someone's front porch. <clears throat> so this is called The Murmuration of Starlings. The murmuration comes at the end of the day when cold blue light stretches long and thin over water. It comes at first as a low, continuous, indistinct sound, then becomes the frantic beating of a million wings, the pulsing apparition of a breathing heart beating too fast. Above the lucid horizon, Thousands of starlings, a bouquet of wings, twist and turn, dip and curve. And what else did you bring? Like swirling black eyes, they dart across the salmon sky. Shapeshift into hill, into heart, into cloud, into the promise that whatever can no longer exist in its current form will become something else amazing. How beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And it does follow the theme of transformation. Yes, yes. I belong to the AAUW, and they asked me... What's that? That's the American Association of University Women. And they asked me to write a poem, kind of an inspirational poem for young women because they're very proactive with doing things for women and young women in, in this country. So I wrote this, and it could be for a young woman or a young man, but I initially wrote it for a young woman. How the Dream Comes. It doesn't matter how the dream comes, just that it comes, and it always does. Poverty, heartbreak, or abuse might defer it, but it still finds a way to slip inside you and begin its song. Sometimes it first appears when you're a little girl, maybe five or six years old. You see a bird, a tiny bold bird flitting from branch to branch among leaves of gold, and know it is you, ready to fly to the highest point in the sky and disappear. 
Perhaps the dream finds you at school, floats just outside the classroom window, just beyond the teacher's glance. A ripple of rainbow light, an impatient kite. Yes, that's you too. Sometimes the dream doesn't settle in your heart until you're older, maybe in your 30s. It's the whisper, the yearning you can't quite put your finger on, but it's there. It calls to you late at night after you've put the children to bed or arrived home exhausted from work. It knows you better than any lover, and you may find that over time you will spend many hours alone without family or friends just to embrace it. What always matters is that you follow this dream, follow it like a river tumbling passionately to the sea, breathe it in as if it is your last breath, your only hope, feed it, dance with it, Inhale it like the sweetest rose. And when you finally become your dream, fill your lungs with it. Belt it out to the world. Let all those who have yet to dream hear your raucous song and look. Ah, yes, look for that tiny, bold bird upon the branch. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. <laughs> it's been wonderful for me, too. I'm so thank glad. Thank you so much for having me on. Here. It was a pleasure, and thank you for coming. Okay. I'm Dr. Mike Lenore, host of About Health. Every Monday from 2 to 3 on KPFA 94.1 FM, we focus on how to keep you healthy and what to do when you have a medical problem. This is not just another health show. You get a chance to talk directly with experts from both traditional and non-traditional alternative health communities. Remember, health is your biggest asset. So join me, Dr. Mike Lenore, every Monday from 2 to 3 as we talk about your health on 94.1 KPFA Community Radio. This is a listing of upcoming events in the Bay Area for the week ending September 23rd. All events are wheelchair accessible. Please listen closely for contact numbers. Snap Judgment in the Bay presents The Fire Tapes, a night of storytelling from the people at the center of the October 2017 Northern California wildfires. This event takes place on Saturday, September 22nd at 7 p.m. at Fort Mason Center at 2 Marina Boulevard in San Francisco. For details, call 510-465-7627. Peace Action of San Mateo hosts Medicare for All, From Demand to Reality, an organizing strategy for a nationwide campaign to make a single federal program of comprehensive health care a reality. This takes place on Sunday, September 23rd at 7 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist of San Mateo, 300 East Santa Inez Avenue in San Mateo. For details, call 650-286-0332. The Oakland Asian Cultural Center invites you to join them for the 2018 Peace Lantern Ceremony, where you can make your own lantern and enjoy dancing and drumming performances. This event takes place on Sunday, September 23rd at 4.30 p.m. at the Lake Merritt Amphitheater on Lake Merritt Boulevard between 12th Street and 1st Avenue in Oakland. For details, call 510-637-0455. The community calendar is produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. 
Send your listings at least four weeks in advance to KPFA Box 51, 1929 Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Berkeley, California, 94704. Or email us at calendar at kpfa.org. Tell us if your event is wheelchair accessible. To hear this calendar again, call 510-848-6767, extension 621. This calendar is also online at kpfa.org. En Rebelión, every Sunday from 5 to 6 p.m. on KPFA. Latin American and Latino Alternative Music and Public Affairs. Si lo has estado buscando y no lo podías encontrar, este es el lugar. With correspondence from New York, Mexico City and the Bay Area. Cada domingo de 5 a 6 de la tarde en KPFA 94.1 FM. Attention KPFA listeners, KPFA's Fall Fun Drive starts Tuesday, September 18th. As the midterm elections approach, KPFA is committed to providing you with the most comprehensive and up-to-the-minute election coverage. Coverage that you can find nowhere else. And none of this would be possible without your generous donations to KPFA. So please, do your part and join us this next Fun Drive. It all starts September 18th on the Bay Area's home for independent voices, 94.1 KPFA, and online at kpfa.org. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online worldwide at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Hard Knock Radio.